Hello and welcome to the Bitcoin Takeover podcast. I am glad and today my guest is R.L. Breyer, who also calls himself the Pittsburgh Huddler. And he says that he has been in the Bitcoin space since 2009 and joined Litecoin among the first maybe 100 people in 2011. And he also went to university and did studies in Austrian economics and has worked for Ron Paul's campaign. And that's a lot to talk about, given the fact that this podcast is is mostly about Bitcoin and its qualities to take over the world as sound money. So hello, Mr. Breyer. How are you doing, Vlad? Thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm happy that we get to talk about Austrian economics for once, and I have somebody who has quite an experience in it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of an uh, Austrian economics nerd, so uh, it's uh, what I like to do when I have leisure time, which lately I don't, but um, when I do, I, I uh, like to put on a good uh, Rothbard or Hoppe lecture or uh, try to read a little bit if I have a little more time even. So how did you get into it? Was it overnight that you realized that the world economy is not really working or did somebody influence you? Yeah, uh, I was at Ohio State University um, in Columbus, Ohio, and um, I was studying uh, English literature. And um, a lot of my time when I wasn't doing school and um, uh, just hanging out with my friends at that point, you know, you're in college, was at, uh, was studying, was uh, spent on looking at the political climate uh, and trying to figure out the world. I've always been kind of an inquisitive person. So I uh, found Ron Paul uh, in the middle of all these wars that we were in. We were uh, pretty deep in, in the war, in the, into the wars by then uh, in 2009. And uh, I, started, I started getting into him. Uh, I, heard, I heard of some of his uh, debates from the prior uh, election cycle in 2008 when he ran. And was, he was, I heard he was running again, so... I was just getting more and more uh, into uh, Ron Paul, and he started dropping these, um, these, uh, these really, you know, great, great pieces of knowledge on people. Uh, whenever he had the opportunity, he would talk about the Austrian School of Economics, uh, Murray Rothbard, and all those guys. And I was like, all right, one day uh, after all this started to click, uh, that you know he was right that. Uh, you know, non-aggression principle and all these things were the way to go, sound money, free markets, gold, you know, uh, all that stuff. I, uh, I, I started looking into the Austrian school. Who, what is this school of economics? Uh, who are the proponents? Who are the, you know, the masters of this school? And I started reading and I, I picked up Man, Economy, and State by Murray Rothbard. Uh, Man, Economy, and State with Power and Market. And I realized that this is like the most important book I've ever touched. So uh, that really led me down the rabbit hole uh, into uh, the Austrian school. And uh, at the same time, I was learning about uh, Bitcoin and and the importance of blockchain. And uh, the two kind of culminated there. That's impressive. So... As you may know by now, there are some people who claim that Ron Paul might just be Satoshi Nakamoto. 
It's an inside <laughs> joke because he has showed a lot yeah. of support for the idea of Bitcoin. Obviously, he has no idea how it works and has no background in cryptography or computer science. But he's a very yeah. smart individual and many of the ideas of having a deflationary supply and having a predictive monetary policy are actually ideas that he has presented throughout the years and he stands for. Yeah, Ron Paul, um, he's a brilliant man. He, once, once uh, you, you, one of his saying is, sayings is uh, even if, you know, uh, our words or our uh, philosophies and our actions and stuff, uh, they, if, even if they fall on deaf ears, they, they can never really, they can never, or they can never really unhear what they've heard. So I guess it wouldn't be deaf ears, but they can never unhear what we've said. So, um, you know, he's, he was a great, he's, he still is a great educator. Now he has his homeschool program. And I actually, uh, I started at the same time, like I said, I got into Bitcoin and I got into, uh, Ron Paul, the Ron Paul movement, Liberty movement at the same time. And, um, I actually worked a little bit for the Ron Paul campaign, um, making phone calls and going to, going to meetups and stuff here in the United States, uh, trying to spread these, these messages, you know, the message of Liberty as far as possible. I was successful in getting a few friends to, uh, get on board with me and we would, we would go and make phone calls on his behalf and, um, try to spread, uh, the libertarian message and the anarcho really, uh, anarcho-capitalism was my message, uh, after I learned the importance of, uh, the Austrian school. And how did that work? What, what, the, uh, what, what do you mean exactly? By, you know, when you went door to door to talk to people and try to persuade them into embracing these ideas of anarcho-capitalism, when I guess there is a rising wave among our generation of, I guess we both are millennials and there's this tendency to want for more government intervention in markets. And I guess our generation is more trusting in relation to the government than our parents were. Yeah, okay, I understand where you're coming from now. Sorry about that. Uh, I would say that, uh, you know, it was, it, was a mixed, it was a mixed pot or, you know, a uh, mixed lot. Some people were uh, very receptive and they thought I was right. And uh, the others uh, really hated me. <laughs> they didn't, uh, they weren't on board with, uh, you know, uh, anti-state, uh, owning your own body, uh, self-reliance, uh, a lot of stuff that came out of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Henry David Thoreau and, stuff uh all the way back there you know to that era i was like i said i was an english literature major in uh school and uh that was the first time that a lot of these things actually clicked for me uh reading stuff like that and um a lot of people just i i don't think they have the um the inclination to do their own research uh not everyone is an autodidact like you and me or you and I, and um, they, you know, if you don't, if you're not a self learner, and you uh, don't put in the hours, uh, I can see how it's so easy to be um, 
manipulated by, you know, you go to a public school, you, you listen to the news, and the news is basically just the mouthpiece for the state. So uh, it's hard to break away from um, uh, their ideologies if uh, it's all you really ever hear. And uh, all the people that are supposed to be, um, you know, uh, authority figures in society are are uh, on board with uh, state policies. Do you think that you can be a Bitcoiner even if you're not a libertarian or that socialists more precisely can be Bitcoiners? Uh, I think they have uh, already become, uh, some of them have already become Bitcoiners by uh, necessity. Um, as in Venezuela and stuff, I'm sure uh, that a lot of people have uh, started learning how, the importance of uh, sound money there, and uh, I'm sure at one point they probably were uh, more of a socialist uh, uh, themselves. But uh, in the United States, where um, you know we have a little bit better still, even though uh, our economy is fake here, uh, I think we're seeing more people uh, come into Bitcoin that lean towards uh, centralized statism. And um, it's interesting to me. Uh, I don't, they're not a true Bitcoiner to me, uh, but they're going to come into the space by necessity. So it's funny that you asked that. That's a really good question. It's like um, all the anarcho-capitalist and Austrian school guys, we, we created this space. Uh, not that I'm Satoshi or anything like that, but we helped push it uh, to the masses and we've really helped push adoption. And now we're seeing people that aren't um, Austrians and aren't um, proponents of liberty come in by uh, basically virtue of uh, necessity and uh, in hopes of uh, uh, striking it rich, I guess, in, in, some, in some form. Yeah, but I think that's great because it just proves that the invention is useful and provides real value that anyone can find regardless of their background or of their biases or personal beliefs? I totally agree with you. Uh, I'm not against them coming in. I think them, I think that uh, we want to onboard everyone uh, that is interested and um, show them the ways of freedom. And that's what Bitcoin uh, really uh, symbolizes to me is freedom. So... Um, yeah, the more the merrier, and uh, the better the better for everyone who's been in longer. So uh, I'm I'm not against anyone coming in. I don't want to come across like that, but it's just funny that um, you know they the same people that were ridiculing the early adopters, the very early adopters, are the same people that now are sending me messages and asking me how I get in, <laughs> how do I get into Bitcoin? That that's how it always is, I guess. You have people who don't believe in anything and they're skeptics. I mean, even Adam Beck, who is the CEO of Blockstream right now, and he is the one who developed proof of work. He was a skeptic of Bitcoin and it wasn't until Bitcoin reached the $1,000 threshold that he started to believe in Satoshi's invention and said, okay, this is it. This is our chance to actually provide something of value. And it looks like a once in a lifetime opportunity for us. So I guess even some of the most brilliant people, even Tim May was a cypherpunk and provided inspiration to people like Nick Sabo and Hal Finney. 
who even if they were not Satoshi have laid the foundations for Satoshi to emerge to create something like Bitcoin. And Tim May was not into Bitcoin and thought that it's too, um, how should I put it? There was this interview of him where he said that it's too much about economics and not about being a cypherpunk. And he's much more concerned about privacy and providing liberty to people. And in the case of Bitcoin, it got into the hands of big exchanges and greedy actors that have turned it into something regulated, something for which you have to sign up with your ID and provide your address and your phone number and social security number and everything. So it's not a cypherpunk anymore. And I, I guess many of these people who are concerned about privacy can be critical about what Bitcoin is right now and what it was meant to be. I totally understand uh, what you're saying. Uh, unfortunately, that just seems to be the, um, the natural uh, uh, inclination or natural, you know, just the way things go sometimes and, and especially technology. Um, I still feel that it's, you know, it, it's the best money for everyone in the world. Um, but obviously since the beginning, uh, it has lost a little bit of the decentralized nature of it. Um, and that's why I, I still think it's important, uh, people, if, uh, you can do, uh, you know, uh, peer to peer meetups, if you, if you, if it's possible or, um, what, however, you know, uh, just train, just, just doing ex exchanges, uh, voluntarily outside of uh, KYC, know your customer and all that stuff. Uh, it's definitely still possible. Uh, it's not as, as easily uh, done today. Um, but as we've seen, the market always has a, um, an answer for that. And that's where we're getting uh, some of the privacy points too. So if you're worried about, uh, anonymity, uh, you can always head over to uh, one of the one of the more uh, uh, private blockchains. You are from Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. So what is the Bitcoin landscape like? Do you have a big community of people that you can meet and talk to and maybe trade some Bitcoins? Like you, they give you $3,000 and you sell them one Bitcoin or is it obscure and hard to find? Uh, Pittsburgh is a pretty big city, so there's definitely uh, uh, that opportunity. There's also um, Bitcoin ATMs that are starting to show up places. Uh, more and more of those are popping up all over the country here in the United States. So, um, yeah, that's, that's still a possibility. And uh, if you're really worried about it, uh, New York and stuff is not too far from me. So if I wanted to really do a big, do big business like that, you could definitely head to New York City and uh, I'm sure you'd have a host of people that would be ready to take your uh, take your bitcoins for some dirty fiat. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna meet people like the Winklevoss twins of Gemini who are trying to provide regulation and say that this revolution needs rules, and they yeah. advertise that all over New York in public transportation. Yeah, those those billboards they put up in New York City are a disgrace. In my opinion, I'm not, uh, I don't really have anything against those two individually uh, on a personal level, but uh, I don't, 
I'm not a big fan of what they've done. And um, I, don't, I just don't, I don't agree with all, but you know, in the same right, like we just said for adoption to, to, uh, to hit uh, critical, you know, peak adoption to happen. Uh, some of these things, uh, unfortunately, some of the regulations and stuff kind of have to happen uh, to get some of the, you know, big institutional money and get it listed on some of these, you know, things that we want to see it listed on. So it's sort of one of those things that uh, it just, it is what it is. And uh, like I said, if you, if you don't like it, you can always head to uh, like the free market always has an answer. So you can head to another blockchain and uh, maybe one that isn't as well known yet, maybe, you know, and uh, have some influence there and uh, take your money there. If you uh, take your uh, fiat there and, get into that cryptocurrency if you're not as uh, interested in Bitcoin anymore. I think the reason why I call this show the Bitcoin takeover and I decided to focus only on Bitcoin is that mm -hmm. it, this is the only project of which I'm certain that we will still be having five years, 10 years from now. Everything else can just go away tomorrow. But Bitcoin is decentralized enough to survive this kind of contentious attack and the incentive is still high to participate in the system. So I guess it will still be around for a long time while others will just fade as the free market pushes them down and the demand for them decreases during bear market. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I agree with you. Uh, there's a couple that I think will will, will be around. I, I, I have you uh, Litecoin and Ethereum there, but uh, definitely, I, I, really, Litecoin's been here almost as long as Bitcoin now, so I don't see it going anywhere. But uh, as far as uh, withstanding, if you had to place a uh, cryptocurrency bet, if you wanted to put some Satoshis on the line, uh, I would say that you're, you're right there. Uh, in the next decade, I think it'll be interesting to look back and see what's still around. I definitely think Bitcoin will still be here. Uh, it withstood numerous attacks from, uh, you know, ha from hackers to uh, politicians to uh, CEOs of banks to what, you know, just overall the amount of attacks is withstood, uh, withstood and just keeps on ticking now, like you said, for 10 years. So it seems to be, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but almost indestructible. I, I think the only people that could really destroy it are the people that are um, still developing the um, software. Yeah, I think if the developers got greedy or decided to implement some kind of code which inflates the supply, what they call an inflation mm -hmm. bug, then that would be the end of it because the value proposition right now is that you know when you buy it, that there will never be more than 21 million. And that's the only kind of guarantee that you have. That's the only part that you trust. But if people either inflate the supply to a bug or run some kind of propaganda against Bitcoin and say that miners need greater rewards and we should inflate the supply so that they get the incentive to continue to run their operations, then it's likely that we, we are going to see that kind of fork which increases the rewards for the miners and removes the halvings, which were part of the Nakamoto consensus, as we call it. 
Mm-hmm. So it's always a, a fight that we are having every day to be able to preserve the integrity of the monetary model that Satoshi has left us. And Bitcoin has no department, has no official defenders. So okay. we have to be constantly aware that in order for this dream to come true, we have to be its guardians. Yeah, as, as, as the, you just illustrated uh, very well, uh, we are the guardians. And um, this is, uh, I've, I've met so many great people in this space, and I just have so much confidence that it'll, it'll persist. Um, like you said, uh, you were talking about the inflation and how that could really be the thing that would do us in if they created some sort of inflation bug. And uh, I'm reminded of the Voltaire uh, quote that all paper money goes back to its natural or intrinsic value. I don't like the word intrinsic, but natural uh, value of zero. So that that it really um, inflation is um, a cancer, and um, that would be the uh, that would that would be the thing that could really really kill it off. But I don't foresee any any um, anyone letting that happen. Yeah, I guess right now there's too much money into it. And if you look at the developments that we have had in recent years from the Blockstream satellite, which broadcasts the blockchain from space and all the way to big institutions getting into Bitcoin and opening trading desks, that's a sign that this invention is interesting. And above everything, it can prove to be useful to be to leverage against the governments to have this kind of hedge against their decisions. And no matter what, you know that your possessions are not going to be confiscated, not taken away by the arbitrary people who are in power and decide to start a new war or Mm -hmm. something that you may not agree with. And the reason why I'm into this is that I like to think that we are being put into a position where those in power no longer collect from us by default taxes. And if they want to get anything, they come and negotiate. And that's a revolution in itself because since taxes were invented, there was no way for you to protect yourself against the tax man. It's always like we, we developed this expression that you can never get away from death and taxes. And I agree. I like the idea of paying taxes if they are useful. I like the idea of paying for education, for healthcare, but I don't want to pay for pensions. So we have this issue in Romania with retired army generals who never fought in a war, but they get like $10,000 a month just for being there. And there are thousands of them. So basically millions of dollars are being spent every month on their pensions, which is outrageous as you have the child support, which every child who goes to school gets. I'm not sure what you call that in the United States, but it's like a sum of money that you get just for being a, an underage student. And it's, it's meant to help the parents buy food or whatever, take care of the ch- child. And that one is about $30, $40. And that's really nothing. So, yeah, it, it, 
Ahead, my relationship sir. with the tax man is that I want him or her or it to be more accountable. I'm not asking for much, just to be honest and open and say, okay, this is your money, you're giving it to me, and I'm going to provide these services as opposed to do whatever the hell I want because you have no control. Yeah, that's really the beauty of voluntary money too, is that, um, it, and it, you know, we're, we're creating an environment of real, a real free market where we decide um, how much we pay for a transaction. We decide which, which blockchain we want to get into, which cryptocurrency we're going to uh, uh, stake, you know, put our, put our uh, wealth into. And we're not, we're not, um, we're not on board with uh, just being told what to do anymore. We're, we're not just going to sit back and be um, expropriated by the state. Uh, you know, there's a lot of smart people, and uh, now we have the ability uh, with the internet and uh, decentralized blockchains to take the power back. Literally, you know, um, why would we let? Why would we let? Um, you know, these states around the world steal our purchasing power in perpetuity uh you know it's just not going to happen so that's another reason that uh they're going to try to get on board and kill off with their own currencies and uh take bitcoin for taxes and stuff like that and uh the funny thing is you mentioned that um you know how there's welfare programs and all that stuff they call it something different everywhere else but uh you know the the most the most uh the, the best sort of um, charity is voluntary charity as well. So uh, no one feels good about being forced to give up part of their income. So uh, you'll also note that um, the majority, the, the biggest contributions in charity are, are voluntary. So it's just funny that the way they paint uh, individuals out uh, is that they have to be forced to uh, be charitable. It's just, uh, laughable and just really a disgrace. Um, you know, people that have a lot of wealth are very generally uh, very charitable and want the best for uh, their community. Uh, so I just, I, I'm not on board with uh, somebody holding a gun in my face or uh, my friend's faces around the world and saying, you know, give me, give me your money or you're going in this cage. Uh, I, 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 that's, we're not doing that anymore. That's not going to be the way the future works in my opinion. So, Yeah. And I like the idea that we as a society are evolving to that point where we can negotiate and we can talk. I guess in the future, we are going to be so much more educated and understanding that we might not need the governments anymore for these purposes. We might even rebuild our communities and realize how we can work it out by ourselves. But at this stage, it seems very unlikely. And I remember in university that I read a book which is called Bowling Alone. Was it Robert D. Putnam who wrote it? Let me check. But it's very relevant, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Bowling Alone. Yeah, it's by Robert D. Putnam. At the time when it was released, I think Bill Clinton praised it, and Bill Clinton was U.S. president at the time, and he said that he has learned more about American politics from that book than he has learned from his presidency. But nevertheless, it, it, it starts from the idea that Putnam was bawling at the alley, 
and he realized that nobody was really talking to each other anymore and they were all staring at the screens that they were having with news news anchors who are presenting the latest events with the scores mm-hmm. and stuff like that and he took it on to demonstrating how television in the United States and the spread of cable television and satellite has actually killed off communities as before this you, you would have people getting together on Sundays at church or something like that and discussing their issues and deciding where they should be putting their money to solve problems but as soon as they had television they started to stay in their houses and spend much more time in there become more isolated and watch the news and polarize their opinions according to the channels that they were watching and after that happened it influenced them to the extent that if they knew that their neighbor was voting for another party then they would not engage as much even though they had a common interest and they they could work together and they were good friends it was not like that anymore they they were taught basically to hate each other and not collaborate and neglect whatever ideological differences they were having and the society that we have right now i guess is built on these premises that some people watch cnn other people watch fox news and they don't really talk to each other and that's tragic yeah i understand that that uh that thesis that's definitely true in a lot of ways i think that uh this is you know with decentralization and stuff um at our fingertips now uh some of those problems can be solved it's sort of interesting um the way you put that is really interesting i'm sitting here processing that but uh they say what uh, familiar familiarity breeds contempt so maybe this is just like us and um like i'm i'm here in the us in romania uh maybe this is why uh the internet and the power that we've been given through blockchains and coming together with our important ideas is like finally taking um taking root or whatever it's like finally blooming and uh yeah i think that's that's a good way to put it uh this is like our our great chance to um just cooperate with the world like I've met so many people all over the world. My books been sold in 40 countries. These are people that we barely can communicate. Well, um, you know, sometimes there's a language barrier, but they're interested in freedom and we're interested in freedom and it's just like um I think that decentralization uh of money will lead to decentralization of community. So, uh this is like the first um first uh shot that we're firing now and then we can start to dissolve uh centralized uh statism and um work backwards that way sort of so uh it'll be like uh money and then by by freeing the markets we can maybe i'm just like a uh a uh you know a well you know i'm just i'm just an eternal optimist maybe i don't know but i think that uh a lot of things that the government does and i learned a lot of this from the austrian school and hans hoppe is that um a lot of the things and functions that government does is like uh is capable uh we we can be um done by like uh private contracts and stuff so uh voluntarily free market alternatives to 
uh, force and um, centralization. So we would still have like the rule of law, which is obviously the most important thing in, in a society to make it function. But um, it would be done in a more uh, local manner and uh, people would be uh, voluntarily cooperating as, as opposed to um, having uh, to forcefully uh, do things. Do you believe that Bitcoin has made libertarianism more popular or was it just a mean for libertarians to become more vocal and talk about the mean that they have acquired to present their ideas? That's a really good question. Uh, the two work symbi symbiotically, I think. Like, uh, we, I, a lot of people were just like sitting here, they're sitting, uh, sitting there waiting for uh, this chance, I think around 2008. And then Satoshi Nakamoto um, released the white paper then. Uh, and uh, it's slowly uh, but surely uh, caught on. And the, it just has some sort of draw to libertarians. Like, there's, the free, you know, libertarians love free markets. They love sound money. They, they uh, love, uh, they want peace. Uh, they're sick of wars, especially here in the United States where it's been perpetual war almost my entire life. I'm 33. So it's, um, it's just, they, they work well together, you know, uh, libertarianism and Bitcoin and uh, anarcho-capitalism and the whole thing. They just all come together, it seems like. And it's funny, you know, it just seems like people that are into one or the other sort of, it just, there's an overlap. I'm not saying it's uh, everyone that's into Bitcoin is a libertarian. Everyone's libertarian is into Bitcoin, but uh, there's, a, there's definitely a high percentage. I think Bitcoin is a very nice proof of concept for the ideas that have existed for a long time, but it's the best and most effective implementation that we have had up to this point. And my view on it is that people are going to discover the Austrian School of Economics thanks to it, as maybe at first it's about financial speculation and people see the news and say, okay, this went up in price like four or five times in a few months. So I, I have to buy this. I have, I have to get into this and maybe they'll get rich. And maybe most likely they will not. But once they get in, they have the chance to interact with the community. I guess that happens when you see that the price is going down and your plan is not really working. You're trying to figure out what's going on and why the price is not going up. So you start learning and you fall down the rabbit hole. <laughs> and yeah, that's sort of like our advantage as uh, anarcho-capitalist Austrian school libertarian, Austro-libertarian guys, is that we were here first. So we can teach and educate uh, about the importance of sound money along the way. Like in my content and in my book, I definitely talk a lot about Austrian, Austrian economics and uh, the importance of uh, understanding, uh, you know, voluntary exchange and stuff and how uh, when two people uh, go, into a, um, go into an exchange, uh, they do it, and if they do it voluntarily, the reason that they do it is because both, side, both sides uh, become uh, better off after the exchange. One person needs one thing, the other needs the other, uh, so they do it voluntarily, and that, uh, that's how we know human uh, welfare has, uh, been be has benefited from that exchange. So uh, just understanding very simple, it's such a simplistic idea that we 
uh, aren't taught in uh, schools these days that um, is, is of the utmost importance, I think. Yeah, but how popular is it to study Austrian economics in the United States? It's actually, there's like a niche group now. It's uh, become pretty popular since, um, since Ron Paul really did a great job of getting it out there to people. And then uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's definitely yeah, thriving right now. Now, I'm not going to tell you that the one out of 10 people can explain the Austrian theory to you or anything like that, but um, there's definitely more people than, uh, uh, I don't know, in, in the last 100 years maybe they could do it. Um, or at least you know the better better half of a of a century. So I think that uh, economic education is on the rise. Do you also support the Libertarian Party in the United States? Uh, I I support the, um, the a lot of the libertarian ideas. I'm not uh, political. I, I'm a, I'm an anarcho-capitalist, so I've completely withdrawn. Uh, from politics. So uh, Ron Paul uh, led me to the Austrian school that led me to uh, the ideas of anarcho-capitalism and uh, I don't support statism at all. So I, I, I can't, um, on good, in good conscience, uh, support politics. Yeah, I was about to ask you about what you think of John McAfee and his attempt to become the nominee of the Libertarian <laughs> Party. And do you think that he's a good influence or a good voice for the libertarians in the United States? Uh, John McAfee is an interesting fella. Uh, he, is he good for libertarianism? Yeah, I would say he is because all the things that he's talking about are pretty much uh, fundamental ideas, the fundamental ideas of, uh, of uh, libertarian philosophy. So yeah, I would say he's He's a good mouthpiece. He has a huge following, and um, uh, his his bid for presidency or his his uh, his his run for the presidency. Uh, he he's even said, I'm not sure if you've seen this. Uh, he knows he has no shot. He's using his. Um, he's he, he's over 70 years old now. He's he's I think he's about the same age as. Uh, I think he's was 73 years old. So uh, he's he's using his uh, political or his. Uh, his popularity on uh, social media and his past accomplishments in the free market to uh, help spread the uh, ideals of liberty, which I'm obviously a proponent of. So I think it's all good. All um, it's all uh, good in uh, that he's he's doing that. I think that's definitely a good thing. He has no shot of winning. He's he's come out and said that himself. So he's using his uh, his clout to uh, spread spread uh, definitely spread the ideals of ideals of liberty. Personally, I'm not a fan, and I, I don't really like him because he gives Bitcoin a bad name, and he had no shame in promoting all sorts of shady projects in 2017, and he even had that program which was called Altcoin of the Week or something. Yeah. He's yeah. made a lot of money from that, and he, yeah. he has made that famous bet that if Bitcoin doesn't reach $100,000 by the end of 2018, or something, he's going to eat his own dick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I'm trying to separate the two, like uh, the man and his ideals, I guess. Uh, so I was just talking about his libertarian nature, but uh, 
I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not an advocate of, um, of uh, shilling coins per se. So yeah, I don't, I, didn't, I wasn't a huge fan of what he was doing with that crypt, the uh, altcoin of the week or anything like that. But then again, um, everybody has a, uh, as long as they're not, um, this is like a, more of the libertarian uh, aspect or voluntary aspect, as long as they're not uh, hurting me personally, I think people should pretty much be allowed to do whatever they want, you know. So, um, yeah, it's not it's not something I would do or uh, participate in. But yeah, as long as he's uh, trying to uh, spread the philosophy of liberty for the masses, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think the problem that I have with him is that he's trying to present himself as a representative of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And he said a few times that he wants to go on stage during debates and mention cryptocurrencies and their importance. And I, I guess that's good somehow for exposure. But him as a, an ambassador for cryptocurrencies, I, I think that's bad. He will scare random normies away and they will not be even curious to check out. And we're going to bear as a community the stigma of having him introduce Bitcoin to some people who haven't heard of it before? Yeah, that's, that's sort of like one of those things that were one of those, uh, one of the few problems that result from everyone having a platform these days, I guess, on social media and stuff. Like, uh, it, you can turn certain people off to ideas uh, if you're too, too over the top with them. Anyway, we should go back and talk some more stuff about Bitcoin. You said that you have been around in 2009, 2010. You read some posts from the Bitcoin talk forums, but you didn't engage. Mm -hmm. Do you ever have regrets about it? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, it wasn't about me. This has never been about me uh, gaining any sort of fame or anything. I enjoy uh, trying to educate people. That's why. I uh, have always been active on social media, getting my uh, message of freedom out since I've learned it, uh, how, to, um, how to advocate for sound money and strong economic theory and stuff. So, uh, I mean, it would have been cool to have a few of those old posts to look back on, but uh, I definitely have my own, own little uh, catalog of posts and stuff on uh, Twitter and old, my old Facebook that I could uh, get into if I wanted to. So if you were to introduce Bitcoin to somebody for the first time and you met them on the street, how would you do it? What is the main feature that you would emphasize on? Generally, I, uh, I just, I, 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 I seize the moment is the way I would say it. I don't generally go up and do that anymore. I used to be the guy at the party that would be like, uh, just rambling about Bitcoin, you know, you've seen the memes probably, like everyone at the party is having a good time and uh, you're the bowling alley meme and you're like the bowling ball that is is uh, coming in with the Bitcoin conversation. <laughs> but uh, uh, today I would say if, some, if, if somebody's complaining about the state of things and about the market and the United States just hit $22 trillion in debt, I would, uh, I always, I always use that. Um, that is an opportunity to come in and start talking about um, 
the, the decentralized nature and how nobody controls it and they can't inflate it away. So these are the most import, important features that you identify in Bitcoin and the reasons why you maybe you got in in the first place. Absolutely. The, uh, the, the, the features that were built in with um, uh, scarcity, finite supply, um, hard to break. You can't, you know, you can put it, you can, they can't stop you from memorizing uh, uh, your wallet and stuff. You can go across the border with your entire net worth and nobody's wiser. Uh, there's no way to confiscate it because it's not centralized. Um, all that stuff is like super important to me. I like the idea that um, that uh, no one can come and say with, with at, at gunpoint that uh, you owe me or you can't leave this arbitrary border. Uh, you can't travel with that because you might leave the United States and melt those coins down. And the melt value is worth more outside of your print, outside of these fake lines that we've drawn on a map. Uh, that's that's the most important stuff to me. Do you have any people that you look up to in the space? You previously mentioned that you're very happy to get a retweet from Nick Sabo, and you think that he's most likely Satoshi, but are there any other people who influence you and make you feel, you know, like you belong here and you're proud to be a Bitcoiner? Yeah, there's a few people that I've, uh, I've looked up. I don't know, not idols, but uh, prominent people in the space that have like uh, definitely Nick Nick Zabo, Hal Finney, uh, definitely like the the uh, cypherpunks. Uh, those guys are the reason we're here today, and we all owe them a great a great a great debt. Um, you know, so those guys are very important. And some of the early uh, companies that were created, um, those like uh, Roger Veer. I know Roger Veer is very um, uh, very, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? And a lot of people are split on Roger Veer, but he has done a lot of good for Bitcoin and the space overall. So um, he's, he's another important figure that has been around since almost the beginning. I think I was actually involved in Bitcoin before Roger Veer, but um, also Charlie Lee. Uh, Char- I think Charlie Lee is a good guy, the creator of Litecoin. I, I have a lot of faith in that. Well, I put stock in his ideas and I trust him, even though, again, you know, he's a human. We're all, we all have flaws. Um, who else? Those are the main guys I, I can think of off the top of my head. Um, those are some of the people that I think have been around the longest and are the most important. And I do think that Nick, Nick Zabo and Hal Finney and, um, I don't know. Maybe just those two. Those are the those are the guys that I would look to as maybe being Satoshi. But uh, I don't put a lot of uh, importance into who who it was anymore. And I respect their uh, desires to re- remain anonymous. Somehow I was expecting for you to say Roger Veer, because y- you guys have a lot in common with the voluntarist and libertarian mindset. Mm-hmm. So, if the two of you were to get together in the same room and talk about political issues and economics, I, I think you'd have many points of convergence. Yeah, I, I, I listen to Roger talk, and I feel like I'm listening to myself talk a lot. There's a, 
I, I, I think Rogers is a really good guy. Uh, he gets a bad reputation for uh, splitting into uh, Bitcoin Cash. But um, like as an Austrian, I think a lot of the things he says are spot on. So um, I, I view Bitcoin as the best money we have today. And um, as somebody who is a proponent of free markets, I understand uh, that other monies will pop up. And that's the beauty of the free market, that the best money will win. So uh, I don't hate Roger Veer like a lot of people. Uh, it's become like fashionable to be an anti-Roger Veer guy. I just don't, I'm not on board with that. I think I can understand that to some extent, even though he tried to take advantage of his reputation in the game to promote his own version of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not sure it was him who, who split the community. He was one of the first people who, uh, maybe he was the first who had a major hard fork and separated from the main chain. And then there was the plan for Segwit2x to get released later that year. And it got canceled and the people who were supposed to be into Segwit2x, like Jeff Garzik and I think mm -hmm. Gavin Andreessen was also on board. And they started supporting Bitcoin Cash afterwards. Yeah, uh, Gavin's another one of the original guys too. He's, he's done a lot for uh, adoption and uh, spreading that. So uh, yeah, I just, I don't understand. And that, I, the only thing I would say if I have one thing to say um, that I don't agree with that he did uh, talking about Roger, like maybe I would have named it something without Bitcoin in the name because it, it's a little confusing for people that get into the space. But like I said, that's, that's his prerogative, you know, so um, you can do whatever you want. Nobody owns Bitcoin. It's not a, it's not a corporation. So uh, that's, that's, you know, that's where we are. We're, we're in a decentralized Thing. So let the best project win, I guess. Mm, what was I about to say? You mentioned something about Gavin and uh, some idea came to my mind and I forgot, but never mind. Okay. I guess at the end of the day, I'm certain at this point that Bitcoin will be the winner of this game. It's so advanced and there are so many brilliant people working on stuff like Lightning and Schnorr signatures. And it's not just about privacy and scaling. It's also about making the chain more efficient in terms of having smaller transactions, which occupy a smaller amounts of kilobytes in the blocks. That, I think that's also important if you're going to have fixed blocks that will not get bigger than one megabyte and can extend through their weight to two or three megabytes with SegWit, then it's important to make sure that your transactions are actually getting smaller. I, I think that's a brilliant approach as Bitcoin Cash. I think the best comparison when it comes to it is that it's like trying to achieve broadband internet by stacking together 56K modems. Mm -hmm. You have this old technology which you are scaling by increasing the amount of energy and technology which is similar that you're putting into it. 
while others are innovating and finding new ways for it to work? Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I looked at your article the other day that you wrote about this. And, uh, I, think the, I think that a lot of this stuff is, uh, is going to be figured out here in the, in the near future. Uh, the one thing that people need to remember is that first mover advantage that Bitcoin has is super important. The network it's built uh, over those 10 years is pretty, pretty tough to stop. And um, I think it's important, like you said, not to get too um, wrapped up in uh, just one aspect, like is it scalable or uh, these things can be worked out with these side chains and uh, layers and stuff. So, um I, 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 I have to look more into, uh, uh, you know, smaller, uh, the smaller transactions and stuff like that, but I, I haven't decided on anything like that. I know some people will think it could be harmful, but uh, some people are proponents. It sounds like you, you, you might be a proponent of that. Uh, sorry, I turned off my microphone by accident. Yeah. I'm not sure if my opinions on it are influenced by some other people because when you're not technical in the sense that you can code mm -hmm. and you cannot sit at the table with the developers, it's very likely that you have had your brain washed by some other people's opinions and you probably you live in a kind of bubble where the same ideas are being redistributed. And I constantly try to think of cons and bad sides of everything that I believe in. Just make sure that my line of thought is still objective. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Um, uh, as somebody else who doesn't uh, do, I'm not a coder, so uh, you have to, uh, I think that's another um aspect of the people in this community that uh, we tend to be skeptical of um, things and that that's, that works in our favor uh, overall we are more apt to vet people that say things so uh, neither one of us are probably going to sit here and say it's good or bad uh, that'll be something we have to like look more into as you know time goes on and uh, the next run happens We'll see if any of these uh, solutions that have been um, implemented over the last 18 months uh, help with the scaling. Yeah, and we like to say don't trust and verify, but there is no way for us to verify, actually. Uh, until until uh, uh, the next bull run and uh, everyone starts buying again and trying to transact, there's really no way for us. Uh, people that don't don't code, and really, I don't think a lot of uh, the people that do code even know for certain what will happen um, with the side, all the side chain stuff and all of the uh, scaling, um, all the scaling things that have taken place and um, interoperability and all of the you know atomic swaps and all this stuff. There's so much stuff that has happened in the last couple of years. It'll be interesting to see when the price goes back up and all of the uh, volume uh, starts uh, and transactions really start to take off. Uh, what happens? It'll be it'll be interesting to see if some of these solutions did work. I don't think if another bull run was to start today that we would be 
much more prepared than we were back in December 2017 because the exchanges and they are the major players in the game and the ones who pretty much influence transaction fees as they have the largest volumes every day and they haven't really upgraded they don't use lightning some of them don't even use segwit to take advantage of the block size increase so it's very likely that we are going to see the same $50 fees and congestions and issues with validations in Bitcoin, but that's fine. I guess it was never designed to be the next PayPal or the next Visa. It's all about having the kind of transactions that cannot be censored. That's much more valuable than having it for a low price. If you want to have it for a low price, you can use Litecoin, you can use even XRP, I guess. I really think that you just nailed it. That's really where um, Litecoin comes in and they, Bitcoin, those two work so well together. Um, yeah, hold your money in Bitcoin maybe. This is not financial advice, but uh, if you want, have a little Litecoin too to do your uh, transactions. I still think that uh, there's a good chance that um, Litecoin will be uh, the number two or number three for the long run and it could be the payment the one that we do do payments in so uh, it could end up being the one that you know you like it's been the cliche to say you buy your cup of coffee with but it seems like it really could be so which stage or what, what do you think is the ultimate sign that we have made it like <laughs> we reach one point and you say this is it we have made it yeah I think, I honestly, uh, I think it's, it, we, we made it. Like this is, it's on, it, it, the mainstream media is forced to report on it like every single day. Um, that here in the United States, that's like one thing that like blows my mind. Uh, you know, one, one point you couldn't find a, a rogue, <laughs> a rogue article uh, only every couple of weeks in the beginning you could find something and now you turn on CNBC uh, I don't have I don't have cable. I don't watch television, but uh, I see the clips on YouTube and the compilations people put together, and it's it's all over the news. It's in the New York Times and uh, all the Washington Post and stuff, and all the big newspaper newspapers in America are like forced to report on it. I know it just kills them every time they have to do it, but uh, all of the obituaries that have been written and all of the all of the negativity, and it's still here. I. I really think it's here, and uh, I think we've hit that peak. And uh, the next bull run will be like, you know, I don't like to get into price predictions, but I can easily see 60, 65K on the next one. So uh, once it hits again, you know, every time it goes up, it's like a new wave of enthusiasm, a new wave of people come in that have uh, never wanted to take the time to learn about it. So. Uh, every time it goes up, it's like really just uh, we're just getting bigger and bigger. I'm really happy that we get to end this on a positive note and not get depressed. But as you said previously, you tend to be optimistic about your political views in terms of libertarianism and some kind of awakening that people are having right now by discovering the Austrian School of Economics and all these writers and economists who criticize the current system 
So thank you very much, Mr. Breyer. This was insightful and it was great to hear more about your background. Vlad, I really appreciate you having me on and uh, it was an honor to be on your show. I really uh, enjoy the work you're doing as well with your writing and your, uh, your podcast and videos. Also your writing. I, I guess maybe we can do some kind of special discount for people who listen to this podcast and can get your book like 10% off. Yeah, we could definitely work some. Yeah, we could try to work something out like that. And uh, also maybe if they wanted to pay in cryptocurrency, we could put my uh, wallet in there and then that would be the incentive to get some, some more of a discount maybe. Yeah, that, that can work. Also, I want to let you know that the system by which I run this is that I accept donations for the podcast and 50% of everything I get for a specific show goes to the guest. So if anybody decides to donate for this particular episode, then you are going to get half of that donation. Well, I really appreciate that. Uh, not necessary, but I definitely appreciate it. It was, it's like I said, it's an honor to be on your show and I, I respect what you're doing and uh, you're, you're another strong uh, force in the community. So it's, uh, I'd love to come back on again sometime. No, I'm not sure if I'm a strong force. I'm not very well known. I'm not popular, but I, I try to do a good job with what I do. And I, I guess everyone should strive for this to use their resources and their advantages to the best common goal that they can have to help the community and help exactly. themselves We're in the all process. Doing, that's what it's all about, uh, helping everyone as you help yourself and not, uh, not using uh, force and, uh, to, uh, to gain your wealth, to uh, do it voluntarily and actually provide some value to people. Yeah, but I'm happy that we discussed this. So thank you very much. And this was great. Thanks a lot, Vlad. I appreciate it. Have a good night. You too.